Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. So today I'm going to continue on this series in looking at Jesus being our filter. You don't really know the name of the series yet, but I think this is number four. And, you know, when you start learning that there actually is a new covenant and you start looking at God in the Old Testament, then God in the Old Covenant, then Jesus' teachings, then the enactment of the new covenant after his resurrection, and then what it looks like to follow God from here until the end. And and it's not that you break those things up by saying God was different here and here and here and here. God never changes. What changes is how he relates to humankind. And it is vital to understand how he is now relating to humankind is through Jesus. Hebrews 1, in times past, God spoke to us in all different kinds of ways, prophets and, you know, all these different kinds of ways, but now he's spoken through Jesus. Jesus is the clearest example that we have of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. If you could, like, you, if you take the, the, the bigness of God, the, the, you know, think, I can't even, I don't have the words, right? Think about how big God is. Think about how much he knows and understands and how powerful he is and the logic that he must use and, and the systems that he must have known to put into place for this world to function, right? You think about how, you think about the order of creation and God designed every detail. There's not one thing according to his design that he didn't structure. Now, I'm not talking about the circumstances of life right now. I'm talking about just the order that holds everything together, the way of nature, the way your body works, the way your emotions work within you, the way relationship works. God knew everything. So imagine what God knows in his brain capacity, if I could say that. All of that, everything that God understands and knows manifesting into a human, and that's Jesus. So the clearest way to understand who God is is not going to the Old Testament first and then trying to come to Jesus to make things make sense. Understand Jesus first before you go back and you try to understand those things. Now, I'm not saying you go back and twist Scripture. God absolutely led people, dozens of people, to kill hundreds and thousands of people. You know, and what you have to understand is during those periods when God would mandate those things, it was, number one, because they had kind of backed him into a corner and God had made these promises and he had to protect them because he had made a covenant with them. I mean, do you think, do you really think God's into murder? You know, so that there, there's a reason for it. You know, he was covenantally bound to protect this nation because he made a promise to Abraham. And they kept making mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake, and he had to keep bailing them out and protecting them because of the covenant. But also to protect the bloodline of the Messiah to get him into the earth. That's how important Jesus is, God doing all that stuff back then to protect the bloodline of the Messiah. And then I just, it's almost like, you know, I'm just making this up, so don't get mad at me if you disagree with it, okay? (laughs) This part that I'm about to say. 
I just can imagine, you know, God created everything and then he rested on the seventh day, right? I can imagine that at the resurrection when Jesus ascended and sprinkled his blood on that heavenly holy of holies altar and then turned to the world and says, now come through me. I can imagine that was another resting day for God. Think about that. You know, another period where he's like, okay, now I can relate to mankind a new way, a new covenant, a new door, a new kind of human being is now standing before me because of the faithfulness of Christ. And everything must be understood in light of what Jesus did. Even the teachings of Jesus, and we went through this last week. We went through in Deuteronomy 28, and if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen. I, I, I feel, you know, all the messages are important, if I have to say from them. But, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of crossover in what we preach here, but last week is pretty important to understand this week, and it's not that you're not going to understand, but I would recommend go back and listen. You can go to forwardchurch.net forwardministries.org, go to the podcast, listen to last week. I think it's Old versus New Covenant Blessing. And I went through Deuteronomy 28 and Matthew 5. Typically, when we read Matthew 5, which is the Beatitudes, blessed are... Let me just read it. This is... Um, uh, Janine, I'm not sure if I actually had you pull up and, and prepare Matthew 5 or not. But so Deuteronomy 28... <laughs> Verse 1, anyway, we'll give her a minute. If you fully obey the Lord your God, now this is how you are blessed under the old covenant. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commandments I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations. All the blessings will come on you and accompany you. If you obey the Lord your God, you will be blessed in the city, blessed in the country, the fruit of your womb will be blessed. And he goes through all these blessings, right? And we look at that as if you keep the law, there is a blessing for you. And the blessing has all these facets to it, right? You don't dissect each one of those blessings out and say, well, you're going to get this one and you're going to get that one. You know what I mean? You don't look at them as independent blessings. It's a collective blessing. So then we jump to Matthew 5, and remember we set the stage last week that Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, it starts 5, 6, and 7. Jesus comes on the scene after his baptism, after spending time in the desert, defeating the, enemy, the enemy's temptation. He comes in, and he starts preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In modern-day language, that would say, you're going to have to change the way you think because now God's kingdom is accessible. You have to change the way you think. Of course it means turn away from sin. The, 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 the most impactful element of repentance is not the action of not sinning. It's changing the way that you think. If you change the way you think, your actions and behaviors will change. So there is an element of behavior to it, but it's more about your thoughts. Repent, change the way you think, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven here. He says even after, at Pentecost, God's spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's saved, because you have to say yes to that and receive him, you know, all that. We're not universalists. It's just that the way that God now relates to humankind and the way that people are blessed 
Under the old was keep the law, do everything. And under Jesus, it's receive my kingdom. Live within my kingdom. His kingdom lives within you, so you are blessed. And so it's like he pronounces this blessing. Blessing under the old came if you kept the law. Blessing under the new comes because you're in the kingdom of Christ. And he sets up this stage, right, of who he's speaking to right before he goes through these blessings, and it's, it's the sick. It's the brokenhearted. It's the, the weary among them, right? Because you hear these Beatitudes preached, and you think, you take it personally as if these are virtues that I'm supposed to live up to each one of these. Until you get to the part where it's like, blessed are those who mourn. You know, if mourning were a virtue that you could do to experience blessing, then just go mourn all day. Are you following me? You know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's a lit, let me just read through this now. Now Matthew 5, verse 3. And I'm doing some review because I just want to set the stage again. Matthew 5, 3. <clears throat> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's well, like, if you were to pick which one you wanted to be, you'd want the kingdom of heaven, right? Which means you need to run out and try and get persecuted. I, and I'm not just trying to be funny or cute or anything like that. I'm making the point to help you understand blessing under the kingdom of Jesus is not from law-keeping. It is for people who are brokenhearted that are followers of Jesus. You are blessed because his kingdom is available, especially if you're brokenhearted. The very first group of people that Jesus chooses to speak blessing onto and give the invitation into his kingdom are the sick, the weary, the brokenhearted, the poor. These are people that were rejected in that society. These are the people that were not allowed in the temple. These are the people that, here comes Kopi, he's sick, don't touch him, you know. <laughs> that he can't be blessed because he's sick under the law. Do you see that? Under Jesus' kingdom, under Jesus' rule, because you're sick, you have entrance into my blessing now. Because you're brokenhearted, you can experience blessing. And it's not because you're brokenhearted, it's that if you find yourself sick and brokenhearted, in my kingdom, you can be blessed. You see the difference? So what does that mean for the law? Well, Jesus, you know, it's funny because if you watch how Jesus actually taught and you pay attention to where he went, he addressed what they must have been thinking because here's Jesus, and it says, there's so much to cover in this, and I'm going to try to pack this in, but it says that... Um, he went directly out of that into preaching, but I'm not throwing the law out. You know, I'm, I've not come to throw the law out. I've not come to you know, ignore the law. I've come to actually fulfill the law. And then the next several teachings he goes into, in fact, I highly regard the law 
this is what I think about the law. You've heard it said this, but I say this. So this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, and, and I want to challenge you on this. Remember in Luke 10, Jesus presents the question, what's written in the law, and how do you read it? So we're not throwing out the law, we're just asking the question, how am I reading this? How am I reading what Jesus is teaching? Because Matthew 5.27 gets pretty challenging. And I'll give you a minute to put that up there. Matthew 5.27. All right, so are you with me so far? Filtering everything through Jesus. Did the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus change how these things are to be applied to you? That's the biggest question. You're not throwing out the law. You're not saying that you can't apply Jesus' teachings. You're just recognizing blessing under his kingdom comes because I'm in his kingdom. The law was fulfilled, and the curse of the law was put in him. Now, Jesus, I, I don't really get this part. If I were God, I would have done it a little bit differently, right? <laughs> he taught in parables. He didn't just come right out and teach what Paul teaches. Like in Romans, he says, there is a righteousness now revealed apart from the law. It is by faith. You know, if Jesus would have said that, then some of his other teachings wouldn't have been confusing. He does say in other areas, he says, look, there's a time coming when I'm not going to be speaking in parables, I'll speak plainly. He says, there's things I've, I have to tell you right now, but you, can't, you won't understand them. It's got to be the Spirit is going to teach you these kinds of things. So I think it's just because they didn't have the indwelling Spirit of God. They wouldn't have perceived and understood those kinds of things directly. And so he had to wait until the Spirit was in people to teach it directly like that. That's my opinion. But we do know that he revealed to Paul and the other New Testament epistle writers to teach it directly. So it's not that he was trying to be confusing or that he was a law teacher and you just avoid what he taught because everything has changed. But you do look at it and say, all right, based on some of these teachings, does it apply to me? Is it something that I should incorporate into my life right now? Or did this change after his resurrection? And some people would say, well, the Bible says it. It's right there, black and white. It's the Bible. You can't change it. All right. Got a question for you. How do you what do you do with this? Matthew 5, 27. You heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, and that goes for women too, just so you know, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. I'm just looking to see if anybody's got, y'all. everybody's got two eyes here. I mean, some, you know, some people, there are accidents, but. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Lift your right hand up. Let me ask you a question. Has your right hand ever caused you to sin? Why didn't you cut it off? What's the matter with you? It says it right there in the Bible. You see what I'm saying? Now, you can twist this to say he didn't mean it. He meant it. But what he was doing was reframing the severity of the law. But he had, Jesus did it backwards than Moses. The law was given, and then it was, this is how you're blessed under the law. Jesus just showed up and says, everybody's blessed. 
especially you sick, broke, poor ones. You're blessed because my kingdom is here. Then he says, and I'm not throwing away the law because I know what you're thinking. You legalistic crowd, is, he's, you know, these are his, these are, this is his logic where he goes. It's like, I know where you're going with it. You're thinking that I'm saying it's okay to sin and it's okay to ignore God's law because, hey, you're just already blessed. So he says, I'm not saying we're throwing out the law. Again, I'm skipping over some things. Go back and listen to last week. And then he says, in fact, you want to know what I think about the law? This is what I think. He's thinking, you've heard it said this. In other words, he addresses outwardly if you've committed adultery or not is not the factor. It's inwardly have you committed it. That's where I'm taking the law, he says. I'm taking the law to the level of your heart, to the level of impossibility, to show you just how inept you are at keeping the law. Remember, the law was a schoolmaster to point us to the fact that we needed Jesus. So Jesus just, he just pulls the rug out from under any element, any aspect of legalistic approach toward God that there could be. You know, like last week, we established that Kopi here on the front row is a mass murderer. <laughs> because he drives to Atlanta, and if you've ever been angry at someone in your heart... <laughs> He drives to Atlanta every day. Imagine. And he talks to me on the phone while he's driving. Yeah. You've done it too, you bunch of murderers. Have you ever been angry? Think about it. You're guilty of murder in your anger. Are you following me? Now, it's not that God looks at Jesus and then just kind of winks at the law. It's that in the death, burial, and resurrection, how God relates to humankind because of what Jesus did changed. God didn't change. The law didn't change. His word didn't change. The context of the relationship changed. That changes everything. Well, you've got to preach the whole counsel of the word, brother. Yep, I do the whole council of the covenant that we're actually under. Amen. Amen? Amen. Well, you, so you're saying you don't read the old, you just throw out the old? No. You recognize that Jesus finished the work that he came here to do. He fulfilled the law for righteousness. Yeah. There is not one thing that you can do to affect your righteousness for or against with God. The only determining factor is whether or not you are in Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to say it that directly and that strongly because we've got a lot of perversion and mixed covenant teaching, lukewarmness happening in the church, that it's like, yeah, well, you're, you know, Jesus opened the door for you to heaven, but you better be righteous and holy in your behavior here because you might not make it in. Well, what kind of condition were you in when Jesus died for you to begin with? See, we're talking about the spiritual truth of who you are because the question always comes up. Jesus addressed it when he preached blessing in his kingdom irrespective of behavior and to the brokenhearted and the people that were disqualified. He tacked on, I'm not throwing out the law, I'm fulfilling the law. Paul would preach grace and he would say, does that mean you can continue in sin? Heaven forbid. 
He said, in fact, grace is available now, which is stronger than sin. Which one do you want to live in? How do you want to relate to God? Are we throwing out the teachings of Jesus? No. We're just looking at what he was actually doing and applying them properly. Now, over, further on, John 14, 15, Jesus starts teaching about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he lays out the, the, the expectation for every believer on the planet to bear fruit. It's, it's serious. He's deadly serious. When he says, be perfect as your God in heaven is perfect, as your Father in heaven, he means that. But those are not law-based statements that come with a curse if you don't live that way because you're not under the law anymore. But he absolutely expects perfection from you. But he's not mad at you if you miss it. It's like John. Beloved, I pray that you don't sin. But if you do, you got an advocate with the Father. Does that mean it's okay to sin? Somebody should tell Paul that. Are you following me? Now, we go, I know we go over this a lot, but... Really, the thing is, is that for you to experience transformation, you have to be at a place where you actually trust God. You have to be at a place in your heart and in your mind and in your world life experience that when you miss it, you don't detach from God because those are the very moments that you need to draw into Him and open your heart to Him when you're in the middle of it. I'm not saying when you're in the middle of your sin, in the middle of your anger, in the middle of your lust, whatever your flavor is, that you should just continue in it and like bring God in. No, with the expectation of stopping it. Say, stop it. Stop it. You turn your heart toward God. God, I don't know how to do this. Usually what we do, it's like, you know, you think God doesn't see you. <laughs> like, like Adam and Eve thought they could hide from God in the garden. And when God showed up and said, Adam, where are you? It wasn't because he didn't know where they were. That was a question. What's going on in your heart, Adam? Where, what happened? Who told you? What's going on? If you can make it a discipline when you catch yourself. Now, I realize a lot of us, our brains are addicted to these behaviors that we have. And yours might be more socially acceptable than the other person. And we minimize the death impact of our sin because it's not hurting anybody and nobody sees it and whatever it is for you, you know, over. I don't want to go through a list of sins because it, it, that will distract you, but you know what it is. That's the very moment that you pull into him. That's the very moment that you remember. This is not who I am. Like Courtney said, the time that he finally experienced transformation was when the veil come, came off and he saw who he really was. When the veil comes off and you understand that you... Now, this will be one for you. When you understand that you, as a believer, in this moment, are as righteous as Jesus in your spirit, what, what does that cause you to want to do? What does that cause you to want the rest of your life to look like? You don't, you don't want to pervert that. You don't want your thoughts and your emotions and your choices and your behavior. It's not that you're going to wreck the truth of it in your spirit, but it's like throwing a bunch of dirt on top of a plant. You're just hindering the growth more and more and more. It's true in your spirit. You are as righteous as Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? So here's 
how you know if you've got this mixed covenant teaching is when you mess up, you wonder, is this bad thing in my life because God's allowing it because I missed it? What, where did I go wrong? Why does, is this happening to me, right? When you start asking those questions and you start trying to make room for God doing these kinds of things as a result of your behavior, you're still old covenant legalistic in your thinking. The thinking has to be, all right, God has good plans for me. God is leading me and guiding me into truth. God has delivered me from the dark kingdom. God has translated me into the kingdom of Christ. God has set me free from the law of sin and death. God has given me a grace that is stronger than sin. God has seated me in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Those are not realities after you stop breathing. Those are realities right now. But we question those realities if they're true for us or not, or if they're going to float away somehow based on our behaviors. You do it, I know you do it. You, don't, you, would, you wouldn't dare say, well, look at there, God, look how big that check was. I, look how righteous I am. Or, or look, at, I stopped and helped someone on the side of the road today. Look how righteous I am, God. You wouldn't dare do that. But what you might say is when you really miss it and you feel guilty and that bad thing happens, you think, yep, I deserve that. It's just as self-righteous to think that you've deserved it when you've missed it as it is to think you deserved it when you did really well. It's just as self-righteous because you think your righteousness is based on your behavior. Now, does that mean you should continue in sin? No. no. We're talking about spiritual realities, not carnal application. The carnal application is your, your behavior should be as perfect as God is. Is that going to happen? Probably not. Are, are you following me? So, some of the time. <laughs> so, look at this. Let me just read it one more time. Matthew 5, 27. You heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin... Now, there's a lot that he goes through here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, okay? There's, I mean, there's, this is kind of just the most extreme of, of the teachings within this portion of Scripture. There is absolutely a lot of wisdom that you can still extract from these teachings. It's not that you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and you think, well, I'm under the New Covenant, that doesn't apply to me. Don't think that. There's still a lot of wisdom. In fact, over in John 14, 15, when Jesus starts teaching about how to produce fruit, he says, allow my words to abide within you. Abide in me. Allow my words to abide in you. It will produce fruit within you. See, what you want to do is use this to understand the severity of how God sees sin. Not to scare you into righteousness, but to remind you just exactly what you should have deserved under the old, but now under the new, you're in a place of blessing with God. Jesus goes through in, in several, several areas here. He starts saying all these kinds of things. This is just the most extreme one here. So aren't you thankful then for Romans 3.19? Jump over there for a minute. Uh, uh, actually, Matthew 19.25. Let's look at that one. Matthew 19.25. 
Because you hear a teaching like that for his, when he says in, in uh, Matthew 5, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Your response has got to be the same as what his disciples were in Matthew 19, 25. He says, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Because this is in response to the young rich man coming and saying, how do I inherit eternal life? And he says, do this, 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 and this. And, and the guy walks away, and he's like, Jesus is like, he's close. You know, that would have been us, we'd have run after him. But this is the re- disciples' response was, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? I mean, that's your response, right? If it's, if it's cut your eyes out, if your eye tempts you to sin, who then can be saved? Verse 26, looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. In other words, your salvation with God is possible. And I think he's referring to not just Romans 3.19, but the concept of what this is saying. With God, your salvation is possible. Jump over there, Romans 3.19. So, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. It makes the distinction. Are you under the law? Are you under the law? He makes the distinction. It says of those under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. This is what Jesus was doing. He was elevating the law in his teaching to a place of impossibility to reveal to those people You have no hope apart from me. And further on down in Matthew 5, I think it's in the 7, he gets to the place where he says, you know, the gate is narrow. And and he's referring to himself as the narrow gate. It's a very narrow way, but it's through him. It's not saying, do all of these things perfectly. Keep the law. Apply all of my teachings for righteousness. He says, apply my teachings for life, but not for righteousness. He says, the entrance into the kingdom is narrow. He's the entrance into the kingdom. Amen? So, verse 20 again, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. If you use the law for anything, it should be to help you find out whether you're in sin or not. Right? But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Do you believe? You have this righteousness. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All And all are justified freely, all who believe. That's the context. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So you're in this place of understanding. You can get Ezekiel 36 ready, and that'll be the last one. But you're in this place of understanding. You know, if you're ever confused, you ever been confused reading Jesus? I mean, even looking, in, even looking at it this way, you're still thinking it's like, okay, yeah, but it's Jesus, and he said this. And, and, but are you under the law or are you under grace? 
And does grace to you sound like license to sin, or does it create more responsibility within you to actually live in agreement with what Jesus has done within you? There's a couple of different responses to grace. When grace is properly teached, the carnal-minded, the legalistic says, wait a minute, wait a minute, something doesn't sound right. But the spiritual grace-minded, and it's not that it's better, it's just which perspective are you listening from, says, praise God, I knew I couldn't do it anyway. Thank God righteousness is free. Thank God that entrance into heaven is through Christ alone. Now, here's the thing. Can you then live in every other area of your life with that knowledge? You know what I mean? In every area of your life, can you let that free gift of righteousness affect and shape who you are and your choices in, in your whole life? Even in the areas where God is expecting you to be perfect. You following me? There's a righteousness that's within you, and it's not just for your entrance into heaven. It's to affect your life now. You know, if you hear this and you say, that's, a, that's relief, and then you go out and you just kind of keep living the same way, you've not heard. You've not really properly heard it. Amen. You know, the first response is, well, that's a relief. Praise God, I don't have to keep all those laws to keep God happy. That's that, an that's appropriate first response. But the appropriate next response is, wow, that's a pretty big deal what he's done within me. I want, because I love him, because I'm devoted to him, because I value him, because he is my Lord and my God, I don't want to just stop with entrance into heaven. I don't want to just stop with deliverance from the curse of the law. I want that righteousness to bear full fruit within me. Amen? Amen. And that's where we are. That's why we have, that's why we have, we pay rent on a building. You know, that's why we have church. That's why we study and invest in ourselves, is to nurture that seed of righteousness that's been placed within us so that it continues to manifest and grow and we take it to the world around us. But I, what I, the most fundamental thing that I would love for a message like this to do would be to get you thinking spiritually because it's life, would be to get you thinking in terms of I'm safe in him because of this covenant and to get you thinking in terms of I know a lot of people that believe that God is mad at them or they're mad at God because of what's going on in their lives right now. They need to hear this good news. I can set them free and help them really truly understand faith, righteousness, and this gift of grace. And then you just trust the Holy Spirit. You let the Holy Spirit do his work. The Holy Spirit brings the increase. Amen? I mean, your job is put that seed out there. Preach the gospel. Start in your home. Do it in your mirror. The world around you is starving for good news. Amen. And if the religious naysayers say, well, you know, you're kind of perverting, and it's like, I mean, study, you know, make sure that you're not saying goofy things. But don't back down from fully standing behind faith righteousness. Don't back down from preaching the gospel. Amen? I mean, the world needs to see a confident group of people that fully trust the finished work of Jesus. Are you with me? Last verse. This is kind of the context that we're in, Ezekiel 36. 
Because it's like, okay, well, so how do I live? And I, I just see this as a description of what life would be like for believers under the new covenant. This is Ezekiel prophesying about the new covenant. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they all prophesied about this coming new covenant. The new covenant would do several things. It would sprinkle you. It would give you a new heart. It would place his spirit within you, and it would put you in a relationship where God is no longer holding your sin against you. Those are four factors that are in the prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel about the new covenant. And then life under the new covenant, I think it just looks like this. Ezekiel 36, 25, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Say, I'm clean. I'm, clean. I'm, pure. I'm pure. I am holy because Christ has cleansed me. This is what it's talking about. When God talks in terms of sprinkling and cleaning, it's holiness is what he's referring to. Can you live with that? I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. God didn't change, you changed. Put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you, a heart, uh, give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. Now, watch this. You want to look at how the law applies to you right now? It's right here. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Because God gives you a new heart, because you're cleansed, because he put his spirit within you, you will be careful. How does it say it here? I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. It's, it's, it's switched. Under the old, do my commandments, keep my statutes, keep my judgments, then you'll be blessed. Under the kingdom, it's you're in my kingdom you're blessed. And because I'm in you, you will live and keep my ordinances and my statutes. And if you are not keeping his ordinances and his statutes, it's time to repent. And what repent means is change the way you're thinking. Because if you're not naturally living out what God would lead you to do, it's not because you're not holy enough or righteous enough or close to God enough or you lack anything because you're complete in Christ, is because in that area of your heart, it's hardened to the influence of the Holy Spirit to lead you to live out. And I'm not saying God empowers you to keep the law. He empowers you to live under his ordinances and his judgments and his way. You see the difference? Now, again, you guys know this, and I, I keep majoring on this point, because sometimes people are like, well... You know, it's the same thing. Well, when you actually believe it, and then when you actually start telling other people, you know what I mean? This is what the world needs to hear. You'd be surprised what people think about God. I mean, the most basic, fundamental things that people believe about God reveal that they have a, more of a view of Old Covenant God than New Covenant relationship. You hear it all the time. And ask people, do you think God's mad at you? Do you think God's doing that? 
you think, you know, you get, you ask them probing questions for them, people, and help them process through, help them find their way through following the Holy Spirit to truth. Because the gospel is his power. Let's be carriers of that gospel. Is it heavy? Did we, did we put a lot on? We're free in him. We're free in him. Now let's let that freedom drive us and lead us and guide us. Father, we thank you for the peace that we have through Jesus. Thank you for wisdom to understand your word, to rightly divide your word. Thank you for uh, the, the power of your spirit to help us understand within our hearts, maybe when words don't make sense and when we read and we don't understand things, we just want to be led and taught by your spirit. I make myself teachable in this moment. I want to reflect your glory. I want to represent you properly. But I want to show the world what Jesus looks like. We want to show the world what free, the free gift of righteousness is all about in Christ. Because it's the power of transformation.